Cavendish will slot it home. Yeah. And he does so. Cavendish has turned into the empty net. It's promotion to Doncaster Rovers. Can you believe what has happened in this last minute? Now then, hello and welcome to episode 22 of Podular Stand, the uh, hitherto sporadic Doncaster Rovers podcast from Popular Stand fanzine. My name's Glenn Wilson, editor of Popular Stand, and right now, in a change to our past format, I'm, uh, well, I'm not joined by anyone at the moment. Um, don't worry, Jack Pete, James McMahon, both perfectly fine. Uh, but for 21-22, we're trying something a bit different with the uh, Podular Stand podcast. So first off, we're going to be with you on the first of the month every month. But I mean, general punctuality isn't isn't the only shake-up that we're, we're looking to make. Um, this season, the podcast is going to be taking more of a magazine-style approach uh, with different focuses each month and, and therefore some, some different guests involved too. Um, so that starts now. Um, and this month, I'm going to be sharing with you excerpts from my uh, September interview with the new manager uh, of Doncaster Rovers, Richie Wellens, who uh, kindly sat down to talk at length with the fanzine, uh, an interview which, of course, you can read in full only in issue 105 of Popular Stand fanzine. Um, and joining me to pick through Richie's responses and the season so far are two regular members of the fanzine's fan panel, uh, Lizzie Robinson and Adam Stubbins of the i10 website. So we cut up virtually between the Plymouth game and the Ipswich game, and here's how that virtual chat went. So Adam and Lizzie, thanks for uh, for joining us for popular the latest episode of uh, Podular Stands. So we've got the interview with, that we that I managed to do with Richie Wellens. We, we're thankful to Rovers for letting us letting us put that out. So we're just going to you know, listen to that feedback on on your thoughts on that that chat with Richie. But I want to start by Wellens' appointment in in May. It's, it feels like forever ago now. Um, but I, both of you obviously contributed to the fan panel in the most recent issue of fans. And one of the questions I asked you then was how you how you felt about Richie's appointment. Uh, Lizzie, you you said you were a little bit a bit skeptical about about Richie's appointment. Why was that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think ex players as managers works that often. I think you've only got to look at Andy Butler last season to see that it has a real risk of tarnishing the players' reputation yeah. among fans. But also, I don't necessarily think the style of football Richie Wellens used to play was very like suited to League One. I used to get really annoyed when he used to back heel it when we were like. Get, going to get relegated into League Two um, and it's just I like that he speaks his mind but sometimes I think it gets him into some sticky situations that causes more damage than it does good but you've got to give him 10 games at least haven't you really and given yeah. and stuff it's hard to judge but I don't know I'm just I liked Stephen Robinson I really did and that's not just because we share the same last name like I just genuinely think he's a highly rated manager and he's yeah. doing well at Morecambe but Adam, you were a bit more positive about, about Rich's appointment. Yeah, I, I, I did feel he was like the best available option that was realistic for us. I mean, I thought that about Darren Moore as well. Um, yeah. But to be fair, it's rare that we hire the manager that I think's the best choice or that looks like the the clear choice. So I thought that he, he were a, he were a good fit. I feel like he still is a good fit. It's not, it's not been a great start in that respect, but there are obvious. Um, 
I don't want to say downsides, but there, there are obvious things with Richie and his character and his reputation, I suppose, as a who he is, that doesn't quite marry up to Donny Rovers, or at least what I think people like ourselves think Donny Rovers are meant to be. Um, but I do think in, in the way that he wants to play football, the way that he played at Swindon, and what he's trying to achieve at this level, I, I do think it fits. And I think that, that there's no other manager around who's a realistic fit who I look at and think, oh yeah, I wish we'd have got him. I mean, I'm not, I, I thought Stephen Robinson was a good choice as well. I would have been happy with either of them, but Wellens just had a lot more ticks in the boxes, I thought, than Robinson. Robinson were a bit more of an unknown at this level and just to Donny in general, rather than obviously Richie, who's very well known. I think almost sort of, in a way, converse to your point, in a way, Lizzie, is that because he was a former player, he it, and, and a name that was that the fans loved as a player, it's if, you, if you're in a position where you're torn between, let's say, Stephen Robinson and Richie as to who you bring in and you want to get the fans excited, it's Richie, isn't it, out of those yeah. two, probably, on, on the whole. Um, but I get what you're both saying. It's it's much for muchness, isn't it? And to this point, I mean, I was, like you said, I was really excited about Darren Moore as well. I think within the fanzine, we were championing it as a dream appointment before he was even in the running. You know, we were joking about it as a, as a dream thing. It came to fruition and, yeah, it's not worked out how any of us wanted it to work out. So I'm kind of at a, of a point where it's almost not worth getting excited and about a manager anymore when you're in League One because they're much of a muchness, really, I suppose. Especially when they're young as well, and they've always got their eyes on pastures green, haven't they? You know, looking at those championship clubs with weirdly all with financial difficulties to decide to jump ship to at some inconvenient point. Well, I mean, you, you bring that up, and that is that is something that um, that I I spoke to Richie about when I well, well sat down with him when I sat down digitally with him earlier this month. Hypothetically, we turn things around what, this season, next season, whatever. And we just miss, you know, we get to the playoffs, just missed out on promotion. An established championship club approaches you. Are you are you turning it down to continue what you've started here? Or no, ab- absolutely, absolutely, because I need the trust of the supporters now, and I need the trust of of my, my chairman and the board now, because obviously we, it's a rebuild, and at the moment we're struggling for points because of this reason and that reason, and they're not excuses. They are certain reasons what are there staring you in the face. So I need their support now. So when they give me the support and we come through this and then we go on a really good run, I, it would be 100% wrong of me to even think about jumping shit when I've received that, I've received that support that, you know, that I long for. So sort of music to our ears a little bit there, I think, having, having seen so many, managers, well, certainly the last, last two managers jump ship going upwards. So Wellens, I mean, one of the, the big parts of Wellens' job, really, perhaps more so than any other manager at the, at the point of start, I mean, maybe down more to a point, um, recruitment has been like such a huge part of his of his first few months in post. That's something I wanted to speak to him about when we something inevitably I had to speak to him about when we uh, when we caught up. So um, yeah, here's what Richie had to say about his approach to bringing in players to Doncaster Rovers and, and getting the right players for Rovers. Short term covers are not the answer, but the va- the vast injuries amount of injuries we've had we've we've had to do it just for sheer numbers, you know. We've had to get a few squad players in this year because obviously the squad was so thin when I first come in. So I do believe that we have seven or eight players that can be in a promotion winning team at this level. I 100% believe that. Probably more than that, actually. So therefore, if we get 
probably four or five more in in the next two transfer windows. That helps us massively. And these are these are tried, tested, ready to come in, ready to play. We are not all Pep Guardiola and can't turn around and say, I need a right back. I want 50 million. I need a goalkeeper. There's 70 million. I need a winger. There's 60 million. It's not, it's not football manager. Yeah. You know, we have to, if I say I want a, a winger who is good at coming in pockets, he's not really be good at going on the outside. He's not going to be rapid that can go on the outside, but then he's brilliant and he's technically brilliant at coming in pockets because if he was, he'd be playing in the, in the top championship or the Premier League. So we need to counterbalance what we, what we have. What do we need going forward? Our rebuild is totally different to say a Wigan's rebuild. Yeah. Because when we're looking at players, we identify players. We can't get them straight away. So, for example, we would love to chat, sign Charlie White. We can't go and play 12 grand a week to Charlie White. So, we can go and fill their squad up with huge amount of players on vast sums of money. Then you've got your Sunderland, then you've got your Ipswich, then you've got four or five other clubs that take them up. And then what we have to do is we have to wait for what's left after that and then number them off who we can take. But you, I mean, you you knew that was the case coming here, didn't you? Obviously, of course. Yeah, of, you have the budget set. Of out. course, and that and that is why I've tried to get players who are decent ages. So you look at Kyle Noyle, twenty four; Sean Williams, twenty two; um, Ben Close, twenty four; Gal Brave, twenty one; Matt Smith, twenty one; Jordan Hawula, twenty six. They can they're, they're going to get better. Yeah, they're not going to get worse. They're going to improve. They're going to get better. I do think we are lacking a couple of men in our team. Obviously, John Taylor and and um, Tom Anderson are a big part of that. They're obviously missing at the moment. But then I think if we get to next window, we can sign a couple of men. They really help the players that we've already got. Yeah, I appreciate that was quite a long, a long bit of Richie you got there. But I, I think he makes some compelling arguments within within that. I mean, the, something that I hadn't thought about much until he brought it up on on the players that he has recruited is that thing about them all being you know, the, the permanent or the longer-term recruitment, I should say, is they're all they're all quite young players. They're all in their early 20s, and that's something which he was keen to to reiterate. So they fit within that that mindset and the thing that we've been told by the club over the summer about, about this being a point of rebuilding and rebuilding the, the team and the club. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's right. You do need the sort of young players with potential and with a bit to prove as well. So, like, Noyle is the one that always comes to my mind because he was like the best right back in League Two on paper. And I always said, you know, that's the kind of player we should be looking at, like the best ones in League Two that because they're generally they're affordable and they've got potential and they want to prove that they can play at a higher level. I mean, you look at some of the best players we've had, like John Marquis, uh, Ben Whiteman, relative unknowns until we got our hands on them and we've developed them into players that, yeah, we've sold them on for quite a lot of money, but also they brought success and it, that's just how it has to be but the one thing we are missing I think especially when since Coppinger's gone is there's there's no there's no experience there's no like character I mean I went to the Wembley reunion what two weeks ago for people who renewed the season ticket and I asked Richie like do you think characters like that are even possible in the game anymore and he doesn't think they really are to the same extent but that's what you need in league one it's physical it's brutal you need like Chakur up front is a good example he's never played against men you know, we need. It's like Dean Saunders, isn't it? You need to play, you need to sign men like a, yeah. a little bit more experience, especially in the middle of the park. And that and that is something that that Richie has has flagged, you know, and flagged within yeah. the interview at, at, at different points was that feeling that that's the thing that 
the team was particularly in midfield. I think he was just, but he was also saying that players that are out at the moment or would had been out at that point when I yeah. spoke to Tom Anderson, he feels John Taylor can do that quite yeah. well. But I, I see your point. Yeah, I think the positivity is he's looking long-term with the signings and the potential, as you say, Lizzie. Um, but perhaps we've, we've re- we've, they're all coming in at a point where there's just no continuity, which is which is quite strange. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to be that person, but you need somebody like Paul Geegan, don't you? Like watching John Bostock <laughs> try to tackle people. It's like me when I play my brother on FIFA and I'm slide tackling sort of near him. Like that's how John Bostock tries to tackle the players. And you just need at League One so physical, probably the most physical division out of the top out of the top four. Mm. And we don't think we've got any grit. Do you know what I mean? Like any like just like hard men to do that dirty work. I, I, I mean, I, I thought we'd get at least to the second half of the pod before you tried to bring Paul Keegan back, to be fair. But Unbelievable. What can that. I say? We used to have a joke amongst our lot watching that um, you know how David Beckham territory is like. 20, 25 yards out, people used to say that's Beckham territory. We reckon Keegan territory was anything two foot above the ground. <laughs> like anywhere. <laughs> that's where he seemed to thrive. Um, I love him. Uh, Adam, what, what were your thoughts on like the on Richie's points about recruitment and, and what he's looking to do? Yeah, well, the, the one good thing about it is focusing on like younger players who've got potential and not too young, obviously, but players like Kyle Noyle, great example of one. And I think we've got a few others who've come in who who might be good saleable assets down the line if we manage their contracts right and we manage their, their development right. But I think, you know, Richie himself has said kind of what does he say there about, we do need more. I mean, grit's a good word for it. He, he said he wants more men in the team. But to me, you've come in this summer. Yes, you can't rebuild the whole squad in one transfer window. We keep hearing that. But... He didn't get the balance right this summer. Certainly in the midfield, he didn't get it right because he should have signed one of those types of players. I don't know if he should have signed a Paul Keegan type, but, um, you know, <laughs> a, a player who can, who can, cliched as it is, put a foot in and, and organise a bit in midfield. I think we've got we've got Tom Anderson to organise defence. We've not got anyone to organise midfield. I don't think Bostock's really suited to that kind of thing. And we've got, I think we've signed three or four players who are all too similar, which is fine getting two of them in, but signing three and four of them, I, I don't know. I'm yet to be proven which ones of those players come good or not for us. But when you sign Galbraith and Smith to basically do the same thing and you've already mm-hmm. got Bostock, it's, I, 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 it just doesn't wash with me a little bit when Welland mm-hmm. says, well, I need to get more men in team as if he weren't able to this summer because it was one of the things he said we was prioritising earlier in the window. And yet yeah. we've ended up signing a lot of players and none of whom have fit that position that makes a massive, massive difference in this league. Because Lizzie's yeah. right, it is a really physical league. And we're out here, I think we're going to get bullied in too many games and that is going to cost us a lot of points that just getting that one player in would have probably stopped us doing. And yeah. how many goals have we seen this season where the midfielder that was supposed to be sitting in front of the defenders is not up to scratch? Mm. Be that close or Bostock or you know Smith or Galbraith, who are both too young to even know how, really. I say that, they're like my age. But um, I just think it just it just seems a bit of a strange one. I think Ben Close could get there, but he's so young and he's never played in a team like this before. Portsmouth is very different to the setup that we've got here. But I guess we'll see what happens in January, won't we, in terms of that? I mean, or yeah. we could just see what Paul Keegan's doing. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think that will be a priority of, of, of Rich. You know, in fact, we'll come on to talking about um, how they're going to look at things going forward. I don't know if... It's difficult, isn't it? But if, I almost felt watching Rovers at 
at Wigan the other week, when they were behind, the only player showing any real urgency was was Tommy Rowe. And you kind of feel like, well, maybe he should be in that middle and perhaps not, it doesn't necessarily give that steel or grit to that extent, but certainly more so than the, the younger lads that are in there at the moment. It feels like, I don't know, I th- maybe this is just me just feeling like a number 10 shouldn't be playing at left back just on oh. fascination, but I don't I know. He could, he could do something in there. I remember when Tommy Rowe used to play left back for us when Darren Ferguson was there, and he used to look so mardy. He used to <laughs> walk around with his hands on his hips, like he was tripping over his bottom lip. He used to hate it. And it's back as a left back, I just can't get my head around it. He's not the kind of player who's going to run up and down the wing for the entire game and then be able to track back. And you see Tom Anderson constantly in the left back position as well, and that costs us time and time again. The other thing he mentioned um, in that section there, which he was, he was kind of reiterating the fact that it's it's a rebuild job and it's a you know it's one that will will take a bit of time, um, and he's looking sort of more than one window ahead. I, I, I think is it is do you think there's fans we've perhaps forgotten about that a little bit and are sort of focusing on the here and now more so than than Richie is with his general. Well, what should be his general approach? I think to be yeah, yeah, a little bit. But I think to be fair, I think it's reasonable to look at the here and now because it's all well and good talking about two, three, four transfer windows down the line. And like we said about the the holding midfield player, we'll see in January. By January, we might we might be ten points adrift to safety. So the here and now is obviously it is a balancing act. It always is, but it's just I know it's I know it's not easy being a football manager. You know, we sit here and dissect Richie a little bit which is I guess what we're doing but like I, d- I just feel the priorities were a little bit wrong and I don't know if that's maybe a, an individual fault of Wellens or Graham Young or anyone I think it's that the the way that we approached the summer window just was a little bit slapdash it, fe- it feels kind of slapdash which is a shame when we had so much to do in this window I, I think I think it's fair to focus on the here and now when we've lost all but two league games into October I I, I I really do. On well, on the on the subject of the, the transfer window, that was one of the things that that I did speak to Richie about. So we should probably get his take on that on that now. We highlighted a forward. I think it's been highly publicised who we who we wanted. Um, I, the the chairman and Gavin was was very very supportive. The the problem we had is the budget that I had. I had to get. 13, 14 players with that budget. Mm. We already had Fajiri Okinabiri at the club, who I believe was going to be fit for the first day of pre-season. We already had Omar Bogle at the club. So for me to go and spend, which at the time would have been probably 50% of my available budget on a striker, when I needed a right-back, a left-back, a centre-half, three, four midfield players, uh, two wingers you can see where I'm coming from so the thought process behind it was listen let's try and build a team so we get a team our two strikers will be Okinabira and Bogle and then as pre-season goes if you know we didn't know that Fajiri Fajiri is supposed to be back on the first day of pre-season mm-hmm. um, in terms of Bogle it would have been listen let's give him an opportunity to show us what he can do and then if there's a, if there's a decision to be made to try and get somebody else in with his money, then we would we would do that. 
could have signed players who would have been a little bit more expensive, but long-term wouldn't have took us where we want to get. So we need to make sure that we recruited players that wanted to be here for a long period of time. And I think we've done that. I thought it was interesting, though, um, the point Richie made about, you know, the potential of signing players that were a bit more expensive, but they wouldn't have been right for as longer term. So it's clear that a quick fix when players are, you know, when we're missing players, injured players that we already have, because he mentions Hockenabiri uh, quite clearly there, isn't what he was looking to do in the last last minutes of the transfer window. So he's still clearly at the back of his, well, probably at the forefront of his mind, was long-term rather than just, just the immediate, which I think in all the drama of the last day of transfer window is perhaps quite easily forgotten by us. I know you were quite quite fraught on that day, Lizzie. Yeah. Just a small breakdown, nothing, nothing extraordinary, no different to normal, I guess. But I think I was talking to Emma Dawson about it, and she was saying that, like, when was the last time we had a transfer window like that? I think that's probably the first that I remember where we've been waiting until the 11th hour. But when he talks about, like, that sort of quick fix striker, for me, that was Will Grigg. I didn't really think Will Grigg was the solution to any of our problems. He's not got that great a record. He had one good season, like, what, five years ago? I'm friends with an MK Dons fan. and well, I think... wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're friends with a what? I know. It's, it's from Milton Keynes, allow it. Well, I don't allow it, but yeah. <laughs> it's tragic, isn't it? My two friends at uni are a Berry fan and an MK Dons fan, and I support the big club. It's amazing. <laughs> But yeah, he's not more with a very fun if you're going to come back on this podcast, Lizzie. Definitely, <laughs> that's very fair. It's a, that's a fair point. You know, we we haven't had a dramatic transfer window, have we, for a while? And also, as you say, with I mean, well, he did. To be fair, you know, Marcus didn't look great, any great shakes when we signed him. But then I suppose he hadn't had that prolific previous spell that that Greg yeah. had was perhaps on it. I think Dodo yeah. is more like Marquis in terms of his track record and the way he plays, actually. Like in that he's never really found a home or a club where he can go and score twenty goals or whatever. I think he would be the better fit. I'm secretly quite quietly pleased about it actually. Adam, we, we, um, this particularly fraught on the transfer window. Well, I mean, I ended up writing one or two articles that got people's backs up, which is oh. fair enough. Best, I think I. I think I kind of, I didn't lose my head, but I just, I felt like I kind of flipped a bit because I've always been very, I thought, I thought we'd get it sorted and I thought we'd sign someone sensible for that role and it just didn't happen. And I think the reasons it didn't happen are, are yet to be made apparent, despite what Gavin Baldwin has said in a very, very extensive interview with the local press. I just think that we didn't need the solution to all our problems with that striker. We just needed somebody who would fit the club well and kind of augment what we already had. It's obviously unfortunate Okenabiri's um, injured for so long, and it's unfortunate as well that Bogle's rubbish, isn't it? You know, if, I think that's kind of what <laughs> Wellens was saying. He were expecting to come into this season having two good League One strikers, and one of them's unavailable, and one of them's not a good League One striker, which is fair enough. Um, Dodu, I think, is a decent signing. He's looked all right so far. Yeah. We do need a uh, we do need a more viable long term solution at that at that position going forward. I don't mind waiting for it, but when you're completely shorn of options and you're stuck with, you know, what well what we have got available, it, it is it is hard. And I do think there were some big failings that they've got to kind of look at. It's annoying to know that the funds were probably always available as well. We just decided to wait till deadline day to be like, actually, you know what? I mean, Let's sign Will Grigg. Yeah, I think Definitely. part of that though, from getting I get the gist, is that 
the funds were available, but so is anyone else's funds. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. the selling club are going to wait as long as possible to see what they can get. You know, it's not, I don't, I get people's frustration with that, but I feel like you've got to remember there's two sides to a transfer and yeah. no one's going to let their players go for less than they feel they should get for them and, unless they have to. So yeah. with a player like Grig, where there's in, interest, it's always going to be left to the last minute, I feel. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Rovers are, are due a debrief on the transfer window. I don't know if it, it might have happened by now, it might not have. I know Gavin Baldwin alluded to it. And so I asked Richie what, what he'd be taking to that debrief and what he'd be bringing, bringing to it for them to talk about. The, the biggest problem we've had is moving existing players. Yeah. It's the biggest problem we've had by, by far. If we would have moved the players on that we would have wanted and probably loaned out one or two more, our, our freed up money would be quite a lot. And it would be, it, it would have been enough to get the striker that we wanted in probably four or five weeks prior to the window shutting. Mm. That's, that's my biggest regret that we didn't, we didn't get the players out. Yeah. Um, but as I said, yeah, you say you've got that that coming together next week to sort of uh, strategize for the next window, presumably the window beyond that as well. Absolutely, that's right, and that's what successful football clubs do. Instead of changing it every every year um, and recruiting players in, and then next window you need 14, 14 out, fourteen in. There's no cohesion. There's no people set pulling the same direction. But then we need to start having a plan together about what we need to make our team better, identify the positions, but more, more important than that, identify the position, what qualities do they need, both mentally, physically, because we've got a load of good footballers in a team. I do think we need a man now who can organise, who is physically a little bit imposing and that can break up the game. So I think we need that position sorted. And then let's get a list of players that will be available, what they cost, how we can manoeuvre that cost, is he available in January? No. Okay, let's keep an eye out and, and see if that comes up in, in, in the summer. And then let's have a process where we come to next summer and we have a list of, of potential signings in the positions that we need and they fit into the way that we want to play. Um, so, Richie, mentioning the difficulty of uh, the frustration of being able to move on players, I mean, I think we, we all know which players he's talking about there. Uh, no secret that it's, that it's Ed Williams and, and Omar Bogle. You touched on Bogle before, Adam, saying he's just not shown that he's, he's good enough. Is This is one of the downsides, I suppose, where we're, we're looking at the club to, you know, make longer-term signings. Is the worry that we could put ourselves in this position when, that, when they don't work out. Yeah, I mean, well, a little bit. I think, obviously, you can easily just go, well, it's Darren Moore's fault, isn't it, that Bogle and, and Williams are still stuck here. You never, you don't know, do you, when you sign a player? Certain players you sign and you think they're going to be world beaters and they're not. Certain players are the opposite. And some players, you look at it when you sign them and go, why, is, why have they done that? And then down the line, yeah, you've got a problem. But I do, I, I do sympathise with Richie on that one because he can't help that we already had those players on the books. He wanted to give them a chance, which is reasonable and I think is something that a lot of the fans would have agreed with and said, you know, it's good that he's not just writing them off before he's he's actually seen them himself in training. It is difficult and I think that's one of the excusable things about this window is that he couldn't help that no one wants Bogle and Williams and that they're not mega keen to take big pay cuts and drop down divisions, which is what they'll have to do 
But until the point where they're made to do it by the contracts running out, I don't really blame either of them for digging their heels in. Because if, if you know, for like Bogle, if he, if he doesn't want to move to halve his wages and play in League Two, I mean, I wouldn't want to do that in, yeah. in my job. So why should he? It's, it is down to Darren Moore signing him in the first place and also down to the player not being good enough. But um, I think the players are here now. They are our players till January at least. So I, I don't really agree with freezing them out completely. And it's already led to more aggro, hasn't it, among fans because of the social media stuff that's gone on around that. Um, and I just feel that we, as a club, can happily say, yeah, all right, we didn't know those players wouldn't work out. That was a judgment call by the previous manager or the previous talent identification person. Um, but you've kind of got to adapt with it rather than just chucking them out on siding with, well, look at those wastes of space and waste some money. Because that, yeah. that doesn't help anybody involved, including the club. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, I did speak to Richie about Ed Williams in particular. Where he, Well, let's put it this way. I mentioned the names and he was more forthcoming on Ed Williams than he was on Omar Bogle. I didn't want to press him too much on that. He seemed quite pissed off generally at the time, given we were a week after the transfer window closed and, it, and I was probably the 23rd person he'd spoke to that week. Um, but on Ed, he, he, he'd said that, you know, they basically offered Ed Williams to everyone in our division, division below, division below that, division below that, and only one conference north side had, had shown any interest. And like you say, Adam, you can't, would, would a player drop, especially the wages you're looking at, you're probably not even looking full-time, are you, in Conference North? No. So you can't expect and, and Williams is never going to make the amount of money that he's making now again in football. He's just not, because he's not good enough for this level, unfortunately. Um, so he is well within his rights to exercise that two-year contract that Darren Moore gave him yeah. and earn that money for the rest of this year when he's never going to make half as much again. Yeah, He's just not. I suppose the, the thing is, as, as Richie says, Always has, has said that Lizzie is that that's his his biggest problem. So he takes that to the debrief, and maybe they can find a way that they're not in this situation with players again. Yeah, I think with Omar Bogle, it's I'm just feels kind of sad about the whole thing. Mm. I work in Lincolnshire, so I work with a lot of Grimsby fans. They think he's like the second coming of Christ in Grimsby. <laughs> like they love Omar Bogle and. I wanted him to come to us and do really well because I'm that kind of person. It's like, yeah, he's not had a good couple of years, but, you know, let's give him a chance, see what happens. And then it's when he missed that penalty at um, Sheffield Wednesday. I was talking to my dad about it this morning. And he was like, imagine how different our season could be if he'd scored that penalty. Mm. You know, we wouldn't have had, he might have gone on and his head wouldn't have been as down. His confidence would have been up. And strikers are probably arguably the most, like, confidence-centric players like they're the most influenced by kind of their mental state aren't they because they're the ones that are delivering the result a lot of the time um and I just I feel really sorry for him I think he's probably got I think he'd do well in I think he'd do really well in league two but I think the way he's been on social media it's just a really it's so unprofessional mm. and I think he wouldn't have had to do that if Richie hadn't been so like just a bit rude about him in the press during the transfer window. I don't think it was professional from either side. I mean, I joked on Twitter that Omar Bogle had messaged everybody on Instagram except me, and then about 10 minutes later, he replied. <laughs> so it was just really just going and, like, trying to stoke up the flames of, like, anger and against Richie Wellens, but it's backfiring and going towards the board, which I'm not sure is necessarily fair in that particular situation because you can't make people want Omar Bogle. You can't make people want Ed yeah. Williams. 
you know like if you started this season that little bit better we might not be bottom of the table having scored very very few goals and you know it's just even having him on the bench would would be better than the situation yeah. it is now I think conversely there though I was going to say if you if Richie's just completely decided that he's not going to be part of his plans long term and he's looking long term is it is it worth having him on the bench? Is it, is it disrupting what you're trying to do? It's hard to know, isn't it? It's. I think it is when you've only got one strike. Yeah, like, true. Yeah, you know, like 18. <laughs> it would have been worth it before Dodu came in. Um, the, the other thing Richie uh, mentioned just then was, you know, I asked him about whether this debrief, as much as being a debrief, would be a strategization. Oh, it feels like such a wonky word, but uh, a look forward. <laughs> Let's say that to to the windows beyond, uh, and he mentioned that you know that's that's what they start doing. They they start planning and they're looking sort of one or two windows beyond. So the club are doing that. Richie then reiterated that his focus at the moment was the team, you know, getting results and things like that. So you know there was a question kind of, and you raised this in the fan panel in the fanzine Lizzie when I asked about whether either of you felt if it was time to make a change on the, the board level, whether it was worth the club having a having a director of football or a director of football role, because that's something which he'd had in the past as well at Swindon with Paul Jewell. Um, and this is what, what Richie had, had to say about that. Uh, Swindon, I know you were you were very positive about the support you got from having a, uh, a director of football there. And then the freedom that that gave you to focus on on managing is is that a role that you'd like to see replicated here, or do you think it's covered by other positions here already? Well, I think Graham Young is is our head of talent ID, if you like. Mm. So his responsibility is is to find players that that we can sign, to find players that are affordable, and then in the end get the deals over the line what we can do financially and obviously get the best deal for, for us as a club. So I think it's a really marginal difference between his role and what a role of a director of football would do. Yeah, so so Richie then feeling like a director of football is kind of like a, a name rather than a you know a given role because it's, it varies at different clubs and he feels, which, which is completely fair, I think if any of us yeah. said we knew exactly what a director of football does at different Clubs, we'd, we'd, we'd be lying, wouldn't we? Um, so he feels that, that that's something that's that's covered by Graham and the head of talent ID, and he feels that Richie feels that there isn't a need for that. I mean, I guess I suppose it's probably going to be another window at least before we, we see whether that's the case. I'm not sure I agree with Richie on that one, if I'm being honest. I don't, for me, when I spoke about needing a director of football, I meant somebody that kind of could liaise between. Gavin and David Blunt and you know Terry Bramall and Richie to work out like how to fulfill what what our objectives are in, in the footballing sense like I don't think I think Gavin Ball would be the first person to tell you that he's not the biggest football fan like he's more of a rugby person and that's fair enough but when you've got people who are so business-minded in charge of the club you end up with people that aren't happy because there's no ambition and there's no strategy on the pitch so yeah so you were looking at it in a, in a different way as more of a a a bridge between the playing coaching group of people we have and the managerial 
board, if you like, to to make sure that what the board is trying to do is aligned with what the team are trying to do. Yeah, I mean, I thought that was going to be cops. You know, like when they said he was going to have this role at the club, I was because he's so he gets on with Gavin Baldwin so well, he gets on with Richie really well. That that for me that just made complete sense. Um, but I don't know. It just seems. I don't think that is talent identification. I think that probably is a separate entity. Yeah. It's more about, you know, the club is so exceptionally well run and I won't hear otherwise, frankly. I, I just, I think a team of our size, working the way it does, the fan engagement, all that sort of stuff, I wouldn't change that. But I accept that nobody wants to sit in League One for 10 years and do nothing and finish 14th. You know, there needs to be somebody there that can help you know, achieve those aims. So we don't end up in a situation like we did on deadline day, where we just didn't know what we wanted and what to do about it and where to recruit. What about you, Adam? What's, what's your thoughts on that? Well, I agree. That last point's bang on, really. I think that, I think having that kind of someone is like a bridge, I think is kind of what Lizzie was describing, between the businessmen at the top and the football men in on the training picture, I suppose, and on the sidelines. I, I don't think that role was ever really something that Coppinger wanted. It's not something that yeah. he's been brought in as on this side to do. I think it may be kind of how certain people have dressed it up when really I think he's probably going to be a mentor mentality type person, which is fine. And I, I don't really understand the talent identification role. It sounds like a glorified head scout. But mm -hmm. I, again, I, I think the club are a bit wishy-washy with what they actually want this structure to look like. Yeah. It all looked good, didn't it, in May when they lined them all up in the nice jumpers and, and like... <laughs> You know, and oh, look, this is our new team and they're all going to work together. And yeah, fine. But I don't really understand Graham Younger's role. I think it could yeah. be d uh, defined differently. Coppinger's role is bizarrely undefined in that I think you could make a case from seeing one element of what he's been shown to be doing is he could be doing 10 different things. He's always thrived in a free role, though, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just carrying that on, I suppose. He's the number 10 now of the of the coaching <laughs> team. The, yeah. Uh, it, it's, for me, I don't know if we need a director of football, but we certainly need a more coherent and defined structure to this staff side of things. Because yeah. it's only ever going to cause more confusion on the pitch. You know, like with your signings, with finding ourselves where we were on deadline day, where, what, do, what players we need to get next, how we're playing, etc., Joined up thinking is a, is a phrase I just keep using, which I know it's meaningless buzzwords, but like I don't see a lot of that from from us. Even though they've yeah. come out this summer and said, "Look, we're we're doing it this way now," and look, it's we know what we're doing. The evidence has not yet materialised that they do know what they're doing. Mm. In that regard, I don't think. I think yeah, you, you make a good point. You present a good picture as well, actually, as you, as you say, with the the four of the sort of playing coaches lined up, and it's I don't think anyone feels that anything's lacking there and I think most people don't feel that there's anything really lacking at board level but it's the the bridge isn't it and I can see you see your point there on, on both of you I, one thing I'll say on that you, you mentioned the thing was it just there about uh ambition not being I don't think it's not that it's not prevalent but I think I think as Rovers fans or a lot of Rovers fans is a very strong perception of how ambition is presented uh, and manifested and that is someone shouting about how great we're going to be and how good we're going to be, how we are and someone that fans want to see doing that so I can kind of see why 
you could all, you could put Coppinger in a director of footballer role, call him director of footballer, wheel him out in front of the press and get him to say great things. And that would satisfy a lot of people, but I don't think it would solve the issue of 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 what it feel what we'd feel like it's is missing there at that point. Um Coppinger then is is that's something I, I, I bridged with with Richie in terms of his role and what what it meant to uh, to still have him involved with the club. Obviously, we're missing him on a playing side. So here's what Richie had to uh, had to say about that. I think that the biggest thing that 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 Cops brings is he's obviously got his mindset business, so he's big on the mentality of the players, and and so am I. I think that you, you get the talent of the player is is not enough. Mm. you have clubs up and down the country that will spend millions and millions of pounds on players they will then put a manager in place to manage them players to work tactically with them we'll employ a fitness coach to look after the, the body we will in, in employ a physio to look after injuries and injury prevention but then we don't employ anybody to look after the biggest part of any human being mm. which is the mind so I'm a big believer in it and we have a hell of a lot of the young players that are experiencing certain things for the first time. So for example, we Rotherham go down to 10 men and we're 2-0 down. Brandon Horton, Charlie Seaman, a couple of them, I've never experienced playing in a, in a professional league game, never experienced going playing against opposition with 10 men. And when we're telling them just to get in areas and put the ball in the box and then when, if they clear it, they'll be disjointed, then we can play through them quickly. They've never experienced it. So a lot of things that are happening for us at the moment because of injuries, we're putting players in positions that they have never been through before. Mm. So with that, the inevitability of it is that they're going to make mistakes. You know, a young goalkeeper in Lewis Jones, you seen the other night, he made a few mistakes. We, you have to be prepared to suffer the mistakes when you when when you want to play young players and you want to see them grow and you want to see them develop. You have to go through the heartache of making the mistake in the public eye. Yeah, I felt that was a good point, an interesting point that Richie brought up in in that. Not necessarily about about Coppinger, because I said, as you said, and I think there's still a bit of vagueness about his role there. But the, the point which he made about young players having not experienced certain things before. Um, something I'd not really considered actually uh, before I brought it up, and I think the, the the point that Richard makes about if you want young players in your squad and you want them to develop, you need to be prepared for them to make mistakes in in public. And I think that's a really key thing to remember because the amount of times you know it's always said Ravens fans that we don't bring enough young players through. But the amount of times I've seen young players make the first team and then the moment they miss it a pass. God, I know. It's it's you know I remember the, the one of the examples I can give is probably um, Harry Middleton, who I thought looked solid enough when he first came into the the side. I remember him playing away at Orient, um, and he missed it a couple of passes. And you know, there's Rovers fans in front of me. Oh, get up here with us, Middleton. You're useless. And he's a young kid in his in his early game. And I think Richie makes a really good point there. Of you know, if that's if that's what people want, then you need to be prepared for those players to sort of learn on the job. Yeah, I mean, when you were leading up to that, I knew you were going to say Harry Middleton. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I can tell. I know that Harry Middleton's the name that's coming out of his mouth here. When I went to the Wembley reunion the other week, that Richie's was saying, and Cop said the same, that they used to have to get like four buses to train in. 
and they go up, they leave in the dark, they come home in the dark, they'd have to work, they'd have to, you know, there's a lot, there was a lot more mental strengthening going on then than there is now. And I think um, Tiago Chakur is probably the biggest example of that at the minute. People have written him off very quickly when he's, he's played like four or five first team fixtures ever. And they were all in the last two months. And I mean, he looked like he, he played quite well against Man City's kids. And that just sums it up. He just needs time. And if he's got someone like Coppinger making sure that he doesn't, you know, get too bogged down by it, then that's only going to benefit him and us long term. And when it comes to the academy players as well, like my heart goes out to Lewis Jones. He's probably the most current um, like incarnation of that kind of player you were talking about, Glenn, where he's just, he's had a couple of howlers, you know, he didn't have a fantastic performance against Rotherham. But you want to see players that have come through our academy do well. And if you just start going on Twitter and saying that he should, you know, go and work behind the bar in the like kiosks or something, then you're not going to reach anything. I mean, that is an area we're really short of. And shorting is people in the kiosks and the bar. Oh God, I know. <laughs> don't, don't get me started. The other week they ran out of water when it was like degrees. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, I mean, especially for Jones. I mean, it's it's such an unforgiving position, goalkeeper, isn't it? Um, yeah. And Adam, what are your thoughts on 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 Rich's points there about you know the young players being given a bit of time and and wanting to bring them through? Yeah, he's bang on and it is something that I don't think a lot of football fans really think about and like Rovers fans. I mean, in terms of like getting stuff from the crowd and stuff when they make a mistake, I think football fans are so fickle that they just, they're frustrated that it's not going well. So they take it out on the player that's made the mistake. I don't, I think that's fairly well distributed between the young lads and the older lads. I think some of the stuff I heard shouted at Copping during the last five years by fans in stands, maybe look and go, really? You're saying it about that guy? But like, I think, I think, in time, the Coppinger's new role, if he is going to be more like a mentor and going to help bring these young players on in that sense, that side of things, could be a huge asset and something that is a, a difference maker for us against up against other teams because well, presumably you think he's not going to go and do it at a different club in six months. And like, I think in 12 to 18 months from now, he, you could see a really big effect on certain players like Louis Jones or um, some of our other younger lads. Um and that is really good. And it's something that we know Coppinger has been working on and learning about and understanding for several years. He, he's talked about it extensively in all those interviews he did during his last couple of years of his career. And obviously the the pro mindset thing is becoming a, a bigger thing for him that we're aware of with his, his book and everything that's coming out as well. Um, that'll be a huge help. And for Richie Wellens to highlight that in your interview is, is great because it shows it's something that he himself is he sees it as important. It's not just Coppinger's my mate and he's involved. It's it's something he thinks is brings value to that setup that we're talking about. And that's good. It's just, again, you've got to be patient with that side of it, aren't you? And just try and do all the right things in the meantime for those players. And I, like surely most fans, want those young players to succeed, whether it's Jones stepping up and being our first choice keeper in years, or even if it's one of the lone, the lone kids like Chucker, just having a really good season where like Herbie Kane and Malik Wilkes really enhanced their reputations on the national level with us. Mm-hmm. If someone like Chucker or Galbraith can do that, it only it'll benefit us this season. Even if we can't sign them at end of year because they're worth two million, like it still benefits us in this season. We would not have got to that playoff final, uh, well semi final, felt like a final, didn't it, that Charlton game? And um, we would not have got to that semi final without 
Kane and Wilkes, we would, we would not have got into the top six at all. So no. that's that's good. It's a good thing, and it's a good thing to have someone, a manager in place, and someone else like Coppinger who, who think that is important because I bet yeah, there's a lot of teams who still don't do any legwork into making mm. that priority. Yeah, and it, that that was really refreshing for me actually with with Richie. It genuinely felt, you know, quite quite positive you know it didn't feel like a rehearsed line it felt like it really was something that he felt strongly about you know as he said like you have this backroom staff that are employed to look after the body or the fitness or the tactics but you, you very rarely look after the mind I thought that was really really positive to hear like you say so that's it's a nice thing to have and, it, and as you say Adam I think you know cops I mean, you could just have him just stood outside the ground waving at people, and we'd all be happy. But it's it's <laughs> nice to have him uh, in a, in a role that's gonna gonna give some real benefit to, to... a glorified Donny Dog. Well, that sounds. Yeah. <laughs> I was just put, put Donny Dog in a coppinger suit. <laughs> yeah. That's that's quite a thought to try and visualise. I've got to say. It's true though, isn't it? I mean, I went to Rosington, Maine in pre-season, and Coppinger like walked through the turnstile, like through it, and everybody went, oh. <laughs> it's cops, like this entire crowd of people are all just like gasping at his presence. Just get him to drive around in a little golf buggy waving and then... Uh, <laughs> Lizzie, can, first time you watch Rovers, like a Rovers season without Coppinger? Um, yeah, probably. And I think probably the season before was the first season I went to. So the season before we signed, so like 03, 04. And you were four years old. If I don't, yeah, but I don't really remember it, obviously, because I was, as, as Adam points out, I was four. But, yeah. So how's, he's, how's that? How is it? Because it, it's weird for me, like, going to Wigan uh, the other week and looking at looking at a team and going, oh, Coppinger's not involved. They went, oh, Coppinger's not involved. And realizing, well, <laughs> I do that every week. Hard enough to be. How is it for you? Yeah. It's so strange. It's really weird. I think I remember you saying about it uh, last season, the build-up to his last game. Coppinger's kind of been more of a constant in my life than anything else. Any any relationship, any sort of, you know, I've been I've got a degree in that time. I've gone through so many different phases of education, you know, worked all over the place, you know, moved out, moved back in, you know, that sort of thing. And it, the only thing that's kind of really stayed the same is I turn up to the keep mate on a Saturday James Coppin just playing. And even if we're having the worst season ever and we, you know, we lose 4 0 to somebody, you know, to like Colchester, you have to drive back three hours. You know, if Coppinger's in your team, you play better than when he isn't in it. Yeah. Even if he's coming off the bench like it was a lot of the time in the later years, I was always of the mind that if you if Coppinger's not playing, we're never going to be as good as even if he has a bad game or a less good game, we are a better team with him involved i think we really miss that especially at the minute like it's just yeah i, I think it's, it's it's almost the the buzz i think you touched on it before like because for me having in coverage don't get me wrong coverage is such talent and brought so much to us on the pitch for me as a as a fan it was just like i'm going to see something good today i'm going to i'm going to say even if the other 89 and a half minutes are awful I might see 30 yeah. seconds here that, that I'm going to go, yeah, that's that worth it. Yeah, I think it's Tom Bilkley who says he's got a skill a game. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, he will just chop somebody. He could come on for the last five minutes and you'd still get some quality yeah. out of him. Yeah, he's, you don't get men like him anymore in football. I think it's a real loss. 
especially since he's been to every game this season. I might as well have, might as well have played. And he was training when we had all those injuries. I'm like, why is he not playing then? It's just ridiculous. There's yeah. no need. Just imagine the, pos- the positive you get from just going, oh, yeah, by the way, I'm putting Coppinger in today. It's instant win for well, isn't it? <laughs> um, one last thing with you both, and this is something I touched on in the fan panel and, and something I, I spoke to Richie about was... We, we were bottom at the time I spoke to Richie. We're bottom still now, as I speak to you two, because this is before the Ipswich game. I asked Richie about how he felt about, you know, about the potential of being in a relegation battle, you know, obviously long-term, because it's too early to be one now. And this is this is what he had to say. Rovers are bottom of the table. How, how worried are you about sort of being in a relegation battle or, or the prospect of being in a relegation battle come the second half of the season? Well, I... Uh... Good, good point at the end, saying in the second half of the season. Um, because at the moment, you know, we, you win two or three games on the bounce and you move up. Yeah. These are, these, we've had, I've not, at any stage, have I had what I consider my starting 11 or what I consider my best starting 11. I've not had 50% of them players available yet. You know, you look at some, some clubs and they've had a decent start. When they've, they've had six games, but they've, they've beaten two of the bottom six. Yeah. And they're sat on eight or nine points. So it can be very manipulative, the, the table at this stage of the season. Um, so, yeah, I, I asked you both in the fan panel, like, are we, are we in danger of going down? Adam, you said, absolutely. <laughs> you yeah. still feel that way? <laughs> yeah, well, of course I do. We're still bottom of the table, aren't we? We're still losing. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I, I am. And I didn't think that in the summer. I thought, I didn't think we'd have a great season or anything. I thought we'd maybe be around about where we finished last year and kind of have a, just an inconsistent season. But right now it's been very consistent, consistently bad. <laughs> um, and I, I think any team that gets off to such a bad start as we have is, is either going to be in a relegation battle or we'll have to do something Herculean to get away from one, like we did ourselves under Sean O'Driscoll in the Championship that season when Heffernan saved us. I, I, I don't see that happening now. It might do. Darren Moore went on a really good run last season, uh, or, you know, or adding into Christmas and stuff. It can happen. But there's so many things right now that I don't make me think that it's possible or likely, at least in the next month or two, that I think by November, December, we're still going to be in a relegation battle, even if we're not rock bottom of the league. Because... We've just given ourselves a lot of hard hard work to do at the start of the season, and a lot of the things that I think are wrong with the team, physically, you know, in the in the football sense, are still going to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, bear in mind we were second in the table at Christmas last season. We finished fourteenth. Anything can happen. Blackpool went up last season. They didn't win the first eight games. You know, we're very, very, very early into this season, and it's gonna it's gonna be long, and it's gonna might not be pretty, but. I don't know. I don't think it's panic stations quite yet, but you can ask me again at Christmas and I'll tell you what I think then. Well, that's a, that's a bit of a worrying point to end this on, but there we go. Thank you both for your, for, for your time. Really appreciate that. So, yeah, let's hope that if we chat again in a coming month that we're not talking about being bottom of the table and how likely we are to be beyond that. So thanks to you both. No yeah, th- thanks for having us on. My yeah. pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> Don't go anywhere. We're not done yet. Um, now, as well as our own fan panel, uh, some of you might be familiar with with Lizzie through her recent work in helping to establish Doncaster Rovers' first ever women's supporters group. Um, so whilst I had Lizzie on the line, it would have been remiss of me uh, not to take the opportunity to find out more about this particular initiative. So... 
So, Lizzie, uh, Doncaster Rovers Women's Supporters Group, I suppose the, the, the first question really is because it's brand new, or relatively, yeah, it's brand new, isn't it? Is yeah. how did it come into being? Um, so, with the rise of the Her Game 2 campaign over the summer, um, Jean, who's the um, support liaison officer at the club, um, contacted me and um, Bethany, who uh, we've both been quite vocal on Twitter about the campaign and in our support of it. Um, and from that point, he put feelers out to sort of see if anybody else would be interested. And we sort of acquired a sort of core group of sort of four or five of us. And from there, we just met up with Hayley from the um, club, who's absolutely lovely. And she's really passionate about sort of making Rovers more inclusive for mm. all kinds of different people, not just women. And um, we set out some sort of very sort of rudimentary aims of sort of wanting to make uh, going to football and going to watch Rovers a better experience for women. I find that the keep moat is a very welcoming ground to go to. I don't really have any issues there. I think the place that we find the most issue is on social media, as I'm sure you'll appreciate. Yeah. So we just sort of, we want to sort of try and eradicate those negative stereotypes around women that watch football and try and make a bit of a difference in the community, make sure that sort of single mums and, you know, who've got little boys who like Rovers or little girls who like Rovers feel comfortable going to a game, women who've never been to a game before or women who've, um, we've got a lady in our group who lost her husband and she wanted to keep going to Rovers following yeah. his passing. And people like that, I think it's really important to make sure that they feel like they can go to a game because I've been to one, maybe two Rovers games on my own ever because I just couldn't imagine. It's such a wrecking experience, I think, especially for a, a woman. We also want to eventually raise some money for some charities that affect women and vulnerable people. For example, Phoenix Trust is the one that I initially suggested. And we just want to sort of make it a, you know, a better environment going to Rovers because we've got a club that really listen to us here and it's important to capitalise on that, I think. And, and part of that, presumably, is I think you've touched on it there, is make because there are you know there are a, a good number of uh women who support Doncaster Rovers it's it's a great it's um an area where support I think is growing I think that's fair but as you say it's perhaps harder for a, a women fan to feel an ease of connection with Rovers if they don't naturally have someone to go to or someone that they might go to the game with yeah, I mean, we've had um, two like meetups so far. We met up before the Morecambe game. And um, while we were there, Sean Lockwood offered us a table in hospitality for the Man City game in the Pizza Cup. And going to that, I've met before 10, 12 women from all different ages in the 70s, my age, you know, teenagers, who I, who I just didn't know. I know quite a lot of men that go to Rovers. I know um, Emma, who also writes for the fan panel, said the same. Like, I'd never spoken to any of these people. And it's nice to know now, if I was to turn up to a Rovers game, there's more people I could speak to. There's people my age and who are quite similar to me that I can yeah. sort of benefit from, you know, being around. And I think that's a really positive thing. And I think it's also nice how many men have been really supportive of it as well. I've had a lot of, when I was at the Bellevue Bar on my own at midday last Saturday <laughs> for the morning game, having trying to hog our reserved table um loads of men just came up to me and were like good luck with it Lizzie you know people I, I didn't really recognize but who knew my name and I was like oh thank you it's really like nice to see and I think the backing that we've had from the club just proves that we're really serious about making it an easy you know a safer and more respectful environment and I think we're really good at that generally 
I think, as you say, I think the club, the club are very good at that, and they've got people there who who want to do more of that. But you know, the the club can only shout so much if fans aren't aren't wanting to do it because you need the fans yeah. to, to kick it on. So it's great that you and a few of the fans have, have taken that initiative and and breached that step to to make it happen. And as you said, like just you know, even getting a handful of people with you at the first game that you had the meetup is a big step forward because that's five or six people who might not have felt like they had a, you know, a a social connection with with the club. And I think we've all learned in the last year and a half of being away from football, how much the social part of going to the game matters to us all. I think the social aspect of the game is probably something that everybody took for granted. I mean, there's sort of the 10 or so people that sit around me at the chemo. Most of them I don't even know the names, but I see them every week and have done since I was eight. Yeah. And it's really like odd that well, one, they're all men and they're all of a certain, they're all sort of of a certain age and they've not really got that much in common with me on paper, but having that opportunity to know if I would decided I was going to go to Ipswich on Tuesday, which I'm not, there's probably more people there now that I recognize and that would feel happy to come and speak to me as well yeah because it is it is daunting I mean you you know when you're in I mean I'm generally quite an independent person I quite like my own company but I know a lot of people aren't like that and a lot of people Mm. really rely on sort of going with their dads or the brothers or somebody like that and not being able to sort of go when they're busy is quite it's a shame like I'm sure there aren't very many men who feel like that in fact I was sat on the bus to Plymouth yesterday with an 18 year old lad who'd gone to the game on his own I've mm. never done that at 18 like <laughs> it just blew my mind and I'm really I'm quite extroverted but I don't think you'd see very many 18 year old girls getting on a, a bus yeah. to Plymouth on their own and yeah I think that's that's a good point I mean I I attend just because I've not lived in Doncaster now for, for a long time I tend to attend a lot of Rovers games on my own and I I think I'm comfortable with it because it's an environment I know well but also you know I'm a six foot plus bloke so I'm not as vulnerable as you know a woman uh, could feel attending attending a match I think it's great to offer that support but I can recognize that from social anxieties I felt going into perhaps less familiar settings yeah, uh, and not feeling comfortable in it. So it's great to know that there is a group there that, that women fans can reach, connect with, find a group of people that they, that they can go to match with. And particularly, you said, like people who perhaps have, have lost people that they would have attended matches with previously yeah. in a variety of circumstances, you know, people moving away, not just, you know, the, the sad passing of fans. Um, it's, yeah. it's great to, to have that again. Because my, I mean, my, my own mum goes to watch Doncaster. She's the other person in my family who goes to watch. And it's very rare we're at the same game. So quite often she'd like to go, I think, but but doesn't necessarily have someone to go with. So it's good for her to know that there's a group there that maybe she can join up with. Yeah. So in terms of joining with the with the group, what's the what's the best way for people to find you? Presumably you're not sat at a table at the Bellevue Bar all the time, Lizzie. No. <laughs> if only. <laughs> um the minute it's just a Facebook group with the view of expansion into other avenues, but just because it's only been going, you know, less than a month, you know, there's, there's a long-term vision and we don't want to rush it because we're conscious that a lot of supporters groups get set up, do want to do 25 different things. And then you just never hear from them again. You know, they just disappear after a year. Um, and we don't want to be like that. 
Yeah, presumably the, the, the what will shape where you go with it is who gets involved, isn't it? And who, who Absolutely. Part of it. So you don't want to set a, a step-by-step without having people involved first really no I mean I think one of my personal goals is to get my mum to go to a game <laughs> my mum hasn't been to a Rose game since Middlesbrough away in like 2010 because it was just awful she just hated it it was just so like she found it so uncomfortable mm. I was like I would really like my mum to come to a game with me and to feel like she can but then also looking at sort of we've spoken about maybe going into schools to sort of talk to younger girls and you know, talk to them about maybe coming to attend a game because I was coming yeah. when I was at school and I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it. It's in, it's interesting, isn't it? Because like a lot is done. I feel like a lot is done now. It's certainly a lot more than when I was younger. But a lot is done now in terms of promoting football to women and girls as a participation sport. Yeah. But I've never really seen anything pushing it as a as a spectating sport or as a social I couldn't thing. agree more I could not agree more with you on that Glenn I think people forget that there's two very distinct aspects of football in this country mm. playing it and going to watch it I mean I'm the kind of person that can't doesn't know what to do on a Saturday if I'm not watching football and it kind of makes me sad that I actually don't have very many friends that are the same as that mm. and just wouldn't even think about it I was talking to um somebody on Tuesday at the Man City game, a gentleman who was saying, you know, he's, his wife's expecting a baby. And somebody said to him, oh, I, I assume you want a boy so you can take him to Bramall Lane because this guy was a Sheffield United fan. And he was like, well, why would it matter if it was a boy? <laughs> you know, and that is what people genuinely think. I mean, people said to my dad when my mum was pregnant with me, oh, I hope you, you want it to be a lad so you can take him to the Rovers. And I went to ghoul away in my push chair like a month after being born so you know I was brought up in a sort of environment where liking football isn't a gender specific thing but for a lot of people it is when you know you you speak to people in bars or you know on trains or whatever who are football fans and I you talk to them or at work and they go oh my god you proper know your stuff you and they're really surprised by it I get that all the time oh wow you actually do know about football well yeah quite a lot of women do and I think it's important to counter that stereotype I mean stereotype that we're only going to look at players or we're only going because we want to pull or whatever it's just not the case it's very much it's not about that it's the same way that you feel I imagine that Doncaster Rovers is a huge part of my identity it's Mm. a huge part of lots of women's identities from being little girls to you know like women in their in the 60s the 70s who've been going all their lives and I think it's really important that that's recognized and that it's appreciated and that it's not dismissed by people because it can it is dismissed quite often, especially on social media. Yeah, completely. And I think having that, it's almost given that understanding, isn't it? That support of like, I know exactly how you feel and what you go through as a as another, you know, female football fan, another woman football fan. I, I know what it's like. And I know the, you know, you have that empathy that not empathy, sorry, full on you know, full and understanding, really, because it's easy yeah. for me as a, as a male football fan to have that empathy with you, I should say, that, and that you know, you have to go through this online, but I haven't yeah. experienced it to the level you have, so no. it's good to be able to give each other that that support. That's the thing, people criticise your points if you're, if you're popping off on Twitter. That doesn't happen for me. I yeah. don't get that kind of fair criticism, or, you know, you try and talk to somebody about football and they immediately think you're trying to chat them up. That happens to me all the time. Like, I'm not, like, if you'd know <laughs> it's very like it's very like frustrating for me to just 
can be dismissed before I've even said anything just because I'm a woman. I, I just don't think that's a, a fair situation. You wouldn't get away with doing that in the workplace mm. anymore. And just because football is, it, you know, it, it's, it's a men play football or for certainly football that I follow. And, you know, it's a majority male crowd or whatever, but that does not mean that there aren't women out there that know the stuff, that want to go to games, that want to be involved with the club, they want to have their voices be heard, and they want to make sure that other women feel like they can go. If we could get one single mum with a little lad to come to the keep mo this season, that is that is that's enough for me. Like that would be a success. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really great. And um Obviously, the fanzine will support wherever we can and, and help push you, which is yeah. one of the reasons for talking to you about it on, <laughs> on here now. So hopefully a few people will, will hear this and want to get in touch. So the best way at the moment then is through through Facebook, probably Duncan Strover's. Yeah, uh, or just through me on Twitter. <laughs> well, yeah, to be fair, you can't ignore Lizzie on Twitter. So there's there's that route as well. Uh, Some people try. <laughs> oh, yeah, you can. You can, you can. There is a mute one, but we don't recommend it. <laughs> uh, but cool. No, thank you. I really appreciate you uh, talking about that with us. And we'll maybe we'll check in later in the season and, and see how it's going yeah. and, and see what, what outcomes we've been able to get from it. But, yeah, we'll see, see where it goes from here. So there you go. That's episode 22 of Podular Stand, the first in this new format. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and as ever, do get in touch with, with your thoughts uh, and your feedback either via email to popularstand at outlook.com or via Twitter to us at Viva Rovers. Um, we always welcome your feedback on this as much as we do the fanzine as well. Um, next month, Jack Pete should be joining me again for a podcast looking at the link between food and football from a Rover's perspective. Um, So yeah, until then, I'll see thee.